Welcome to the Midlife Film Catch-Up, a podcast where we catch up on films that we've never seen before at this point in our lives. I'm Sam Turner and I'm joined by my co-conspirator, Chris Jenkins. Hello. Is that is that a change to the format that I should be aware of, than, than starting with now then, each time? Yeah, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna mention it. Okay. Two weeks on the run, we've done that. Um, all right, we'll we'll see how it sits with our with our audience. Each week, we watch a film that is new to us, starting from the year we were born and running chronologically through to the present day. Before the recording, neither of us know what each other of think of the films. I, I sorry, love, this is. I, I love that. I love that you stumble on exactly the same bit in ev- <laughs> every time you read that. You always stumble on, neither of us know what each other, and then you always say, thought, thinks, thought. It's because we're recording after tea. You've got a full stomach. We've never recorded after tea before. Anyway, it's a special episode today, so I think we've uh, we've both prepared a little something. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, well, I've I've written an introduction for this. So it's a special episode, so we have special introductions for special episodes. So do you want to go first, Chris? Yeah. Jeremy Corbyn, Jimmy Carter, Johnny Cash, Jack Chirac, John Cage, and Jesus Christ. What do these names mean to you? And what do these names have in common? That's as far as I've got. The son of a parish councillor and a poker artist, today's guest has trod his own path. From moo-moos and perms to marriage ceremonies in the shadow of a giant manatee, he's an outlier, a one of a kind, a trailblazer. His blazing red cheeks are his calling card. He pulled up red-hot poker plants with myself at the age of five, and today we'll be pulling up memories from 1992 and delivering red-hot analysis of a 1992 movie release. In 1992, you could say that our guest today and myself ran the streets of Bramsburton. We got into hijinks. We got stuck in swings. We chased rabbits. We chased dreams. Today's guest is James Cundall. (laughs) Thank you very much. Welcome, James. I'm welling up a little bit. A special, a special uh, introduction to a special episode and, the, and a very special guest. So, James, can you tell our listeners what you mean to me? What, what you mean to me? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> uh, in depth or just as a, a brief overview? How? Why are you on this podcast? Um, well... Myself and Sam, um, I think Sam was my first friend um, in life. And um, we've been through a lot together over the years. We've known each of us since probably before play school, through play school, primary school and secondary school. Um, And then Sam went to university in Liverpool. I've never quite forgiven him for leaving me. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I think we, we you know, hopefully we'll have a lot of memories to share around the year 1992. I, I, I reckon so, yeah. It's good that you can just drop references like um, Play School as well and uh, be uh, confident that people know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Just did, not, did everyone not have Play School? Uh, not, have you heard of such a thing as Play School before, Chris? I know it as a TV program. I mean, it's I get pretty the, much re- it. Yeah, I get the <laughs> reference to Play School, but there was a lot of stuff in your introduction that sounded like you were speaking another language to me, talking about manatees, things like ceremonies. I I didn't I I couldn't work out if it was like some magic realist poem or things that have happened. Did you um, did you understand all the references? That I, I, yeah, I, got every, I, I, think, I think I got every reference there. Yeah, um, it was a, a walrus, not a manatee. But um, uh, I don't okay. I don't know if we'll get we'll get into that because um, it's not in the year nineteen ninety three. So many no, many years later, we can, we can quickly um, solve that one, can't we? Oh yeah, I got married. At, um, yeah, I got oh. married at a museum in. Southeast London called the Horniman Museum and they've got a giant overstuffed um walrus there. Um with it's very smooth. Sorry, James. Mm. Is it James or Jim? James is fine. Oh, James. To, I don't mind. I'm easy. Okay. Did you say overstuffed? Yeah, so the walrus at the Horniman Museum in uh, Forest Hill has um has a walrus that was found um yeah, you know, in the very early pioneering adventure exploring days, and uh, they brought it back from wherever they found it, and uh, the taxidermist didn't know what a walrus looked looked like at the time when it arrived, and they just filled it. Um, so it's very smooth and um, doesn't have any folds. It's just a very smooth round <laughs> walrus, and uh, we we were lucky enough to get married in the in the museum there and have some wedding photos in front of the walrus. Was that was that a deal breaker? Did you go there for the overstuffed walrus? Um, it was it was a happy bonus, I'd say. Um, wasn't a deal breaker, but but. Um, they, they definitely made made it part of the theme of the wedding. We had walruses on our cake, on our wedding cake as decorations. And yeah, it was good. And um, what's the difference between a walrus and a manatee? Um, I, I, I think a walrus is a bigger animal and it sits mainly on land, whereas a manatee floats around. I don't, I don't know a lot about manatees, to be honest. <laughs> They say, they say a walrus lacks humanity. Uh. Is is that a is that like a rhyming pun whereas joke? A, whereas a manatee <laughs> has humanity. Anyway, we you know we can spend a lot of time on manatees and walruses and which are bigger. Um, but we're here to talk <laughs> primarily about uh, the 1992 film Orlando Orlando is the story of a 17th century nobleman who was um, bequeathed his parents house by uh, Queen 
Elizabeth under the promise that he will never fade, he will never wither, and he will never grow old. Um, the aristocrat goes on to form a relationship with a Russian princess. Later on in the film, we see Orlando become the ambassador to Constantinople. Um, He then turns into a woman. (laughs) You do really well, Sam. (laughs) You've really put an effort into this synopsis this week, haven't you? Mm. Keep going. He then he then turns into a woman and is threatened to have his property taken away from him. Falls in love with Billy Z- Billy Zane and travels in time. The end. Sam, that was a great synopsis. Welcome so it's, back. So Welcome it's back. our um, it's our first costume drama. Is it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cobra Verde. It wasn't a costume drama, Cobra Verde, was it? No. Jimmy, how do you how do you feel about costume dramas generally? I've I've generally I've never been a fan of costume dramas, so I was a little um I, I wasn't I wasn't enthralled going in. Yeah. Um but you know. It it was interesting. How did you feel about the film The Favourite? I haven't seen the film The Favourite. Have you seen The Favourite, Chris? Yeah, I thought it was careerist bull****. Unbelievable. To to me, The Favourite is the um, exception that proves the rule with uh, costume dramas. It's your favourite costume drama. Oh, here he is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Um, No, I'll stay clear of... We're in quick thoughts territory. So, mm. James, James can I, should I call you James or, or Jim? Yeah, that's what James is fine. Jim's fine. Uh, either. Uh, I'm easy. Okay. Would you like me uh, to just, just say, yeah, just say James. James, okay. Um, James, quick thoughts. Oh, well, initially, after during the film, I didn't enjoy it very much. But after it, thinking back, over over it. it it did make me think a lot about various things um so i think maybe it's just you know it's a grower of a film perhaps um we've, we've st- stunning a, visuals uh, yeah absolutely yeah we've actually got a um a special phrase for that haven't we chris what is that what is it uh ppf you know we try to yeah Get this off the ground. The P- PPF. Remind me what what it stands for. Um, positive percolation factor. factor. You put it's percolating, Jimmy, and it becomes more positive as as it as it percolates. But right. we don't know if that is a residual effect of doing a podcast about films, whereby you watch a film, then you start reading up on it, and that percolates. So. We're yet to know if if it would genuinely percolate if we weren't researching it. Do you think it mm. would per- over percolated for you if you weren't coming on this podcast, Jimmy? That's a, that's a really good question because um, I I wouldn't have thought 
I don't often think about the films after after um, <laughs> watching them that often. Yeah. Um, I've worked on a lot of films that um, face value aren't very good, um, but because I've worked on them, I have a, a fondness for them. And so, that, that might be something. So James, can I call you? Can I call you James? Yeah, yeah. You, can. you, you, you. Can I? Do you work in post production? I do. Yes. Um, and what films did you work on, and for which house? Um, I worked at. Um, I started at the Moving Picture Company, um, and one of the first films I worked on. Um, was Slumdog Millionaire, um, which is probably one of the highlights of my career, I suppose, in film. And then it all kind of went downhill from there. Um, I worked on a, um, uh, a few films out of a company called Prime Focus. There were a couple of Harry Potter movies and Gravity and um, Frank and Weenie by Tim Burton. Um, uh, World which was War a really X. good one. Uh, World War Z. Um, World War Z. Yeah, these, um, are, these films are no slouches. I'd say. Yeah, I, I, I have a friend big who works big hitters. I have a friend who works for a double negative. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I know double but, negative. But, yeah, but all his films he's worked on are a bit. They're not. They're not as exciting as those films is, you've mentioned. Is he a listener? Or can we not mention him because of uh, what he I, I don't. I don't. I don't believe he's a listener, and I, and I and he. I think he really wouldn't mind me saying that the, the films he's worked on aren't. He's often the one who denigrates them to me. So, so what you said there, Jimmy, about working on a film caused you to reevaluate it. Mm. Is that what yeah. you said? Uh, it, it just. I guess it would make me have a fondness for the film that I wouldn't have usually had. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some very obscure, obscure films that I worked on. Like there's one called Max Manus, God, um, Man of War, which is a German film, um, which was very odd, but uh, and and not very well known. But I've mm. got quite a fondness for it. And um, Would you, you said that you often just forget films as soon as you've watched. You don't think about films as soon as you've watched well, them. Is that because of your time spent? working frame by frame on films yeah potentially yeah maybe it's some sort of post-traumatic stress reaction to um to films i want to get away from them (laughs) who's the most who's the most what what director broke your balls the most um your your production house's balls um guy ritchie um was not a very pleasant person um on the film Sherlock Holmes, and another um, like you know, you should always um, people say you should never meet your idols or never meet your heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Chris Morris um, on the film Four Lions, um, he w- he was not very pleasant. Wow, um, which was sad. Yeah, yeah, you can get kind of kind of expect it with a a character like mm. him, you know, a sort of uh, sav- savant. Yeah, it's a shame. but um, I guess I wasn't really um, a person that he had to talk to at the time. It was sort of a, a junior assistant kind of right. role. So but you know, I always remember you saying that Danny Boyle always used to clear away the uh, tea teacups after yeah. meetings. 
Danny Boyle was the the best. He was great. He he was um, you know really chatty, really friendly. He told his you tell want, stories. That's great. Who were big stars that you've encountered in your career, Chris, that have uh, disappointed you or exceeded your expectations? Roy Walker was everything I wanted him to be and more. Judith yep. Chalmers was very, very nice lady. Um, who else? Uh, Julian Barrett. I drove him around for a week on a short film, but we kind of had a bit of a block block because I was very shy and I really liked his work and he's a very shy, awkward person. So we didn't get to grips with each other until the last day when I drove him back to London and then we had a bit of a laugh because um, he was drinking all the way home so he loosened up a bit as well mm-hmm. um, and um, I, I, I think they're the, the three big ones H from H from Steps H from Steps a bit of a bit of a run in mm-hmm. uh, to cut a long story short he kept he really got into screen printing at one stage and he kept booking the studio at the art centre that I worked in to to do screen printing and um, well he kept booking onto a, a course and he kept driving from North Wales to attend the course on a Friday night and it was cancelled um, two or three times in a row without informing the participants and he turned up each each time <laughs> yeah poor H I mean that's that's <laughs> bad on the uh, art centre in question isn't it well, my, my, my manager, Emma Gregory, phoned reception and said, Chris, uh, someone's about to come downstairs now and um, ask for a refund for the course. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and and it's H from Steps. It's H from Steps. And I thought she was joking. But he was a nice nice guy. So we're in, we're in quick thoughts territory, Chris. Um, what did yeah. you think about this film? I'll be honest. Um, I was I was a bit disappointed in this film. I I thought it was going to hit some emotional notes, and that's why I chose it over the other two films. But um, I felt like it was, as James said, it. I found the first forty minutes were visually stunning, actually incredible. Like. I'm also not someone who sits down to watch costume dramas, um, but this was unlike a costume drama I'd seen on BBC or elsewhere. It was really quite amazing, the visuals, um, but that wasn't enough to... I found the story was lacking, and I felt like it dealt in concepts over story. It was mm. conceptual ideas. It was like when you go, it's like some artwork you see that, or theatre you see that's more analy- analytical and conceptual than than a good story, mm-hmm. and that mm. that stopped me from being involved emotionally in it. Unfortunately, I don't know what it. I don't know what it is about costume dramas that it just. Why does what people wear and put people off because it does me as well I'd, like mm. I, th- I feel like they have to work a bit harder to get my interest yeah. rather than vice versa rather than ooh that's a nice uh, bodice I'm, I'm going to mm. watch that maybe it's because it 
reminds have you ever been to a national trust trust place yeah many time yeah oh okay I was going to say I think we went I went to a couple um, growing up and found them a bit boring so mm. so maybe Jimmy's that's a, Jimmy's a member so yeah I'm a member of the National Trust um, I take my kids quite regularly um, okay I hope they don't resent me in later life. Well, they might not Isn't resent it? you, but they might hit um, <laughs> costume dramas. No, good. Uh, well, well, James, did you... Jim? Can I call you Jim? Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Jim, did you... Did you... Did you, like, go into National Trust places growing up? Um, I did... Um, through, I think most of my childhood, I spent in my early teens. Maybe I, I um, stopped the, enjoying it, but I think I still did enjoy it. But I didn't want to enjoy it because of my teen angst um, and love of um, like punk rock and things like that. It's not very punk fellow, rock going to uh, going to. Um, it's not very punk going to um, you know. A national trust. I was trying to think of one, but I couldn't off the top of my head. <laughs> but but then there's uh, costume dramas that combine heritage with the spirit of punk rock, isn't there? I'm thinking mm. Marie Antoinette. I'm thinking uh, um, Corsage. Third, is that what's, what's a, that? a new one? A new film we watched that was really good. Right, okay. And I, I thought that's what... And, you know, there was there's elements of this where they, they played with form, didn't they? There was um, Tilda Swinton's looks to the camera throughout. Yeah, I found that a bit odd, the, the fourth wall break. Yeah, um, definitely. It, it wasn't played up enough for it to be a thing for me. I think if you're going to do the fourth wall break, do it, do it regularly. Um, but if you're just going to... Just throw it in every now and again. I think she only did it like three or four times during the film, and I just felt maybe that's a device you should have just either gone with or or not. How many times do you think she should have she should have done it in the film? Well, not as much as Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool, but um, but um, more more frequently, I suppose. So say that Reynolds in Deadpool. Eight, 18, 19, and this is maybe four or five. Call it what's dozen. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there are some like um, so, subtle um, looks to the camera, which um, I thought were quite good. But mm. it's just just some some parts where I don't feel it was necessary to break the fourth wall. Well, you, want, I thought was, you, want, you know, I thought you wanted them to on. do it more, not le- not less. Well, no, make your mind up. Either do it <laughs> or don't do it. You know, that's what I felt like. Yeah, I think I think I'm with you. I think that those that playing around with the form and trying to rip up the costume drama rule book, they should have uh, gone with that a little bit more, shouldn't they? But mm. how much of the blame lies with Sally Potter, and how much of the blame lies with uh, your friend of mine, Virginia Woolf? Mm. Yeah, I Ooh. did read that. Um, you read the book. 
No, I didn't. I didn't read the book. I didn't go the extra mile and read the book. Um, but I did read that uh, that that the breaking of the fourth wall was a nod to the to the the, the way the book was written, and uh, and the um, narrator in the book directly addressing the audience, I suppose. Um, mm. So I see why it was done, but I just maybe maybe too much of it fell on the cutting room floor. I I I had a lot to say on this subject, but um, my son is just crying loads next door. So that's um, all right. That's all right. I'm just muting myself quite a lot. But in a nutshell, I found Tinder Swinton breaking the fourth wall very off-putting. I, I'd say this is the first film we've watched in the film catch-up that someone's broken the fourth wall and spoke to the camera. Hmm. I'd say. I'd say yeah. I'm going to say yeah, that. That'd be right. Yeah, yeah. It's the only film we've watched so far where they've broken the fourth wall, and I found I found it. Can you hear my son yeah. screaming? Do, do we need to take a take a break? We're coming to the end of this call. We we might need to, and then I can say my piece. Sorry, I left you on a bit of a cliffhanger there. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I guess I don't have much. I think I made it sound like I had a lot to say on that, didn't I? Um, I think I think your words were. I've got quite a lot to say on that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think all I had to say on it was I didn't. I really didn't. It really threw me. You know, um, you've got other films where they they do it. Would you say Wayne's World is a successful successful example? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Wayne's World is almost like a post breaking the fourth wall, isn't it? You know, it's almost like mocking the fact that it was a um, innovative thing to do. You know, it's like. Huh, really? You think it was that maybe wrong? not? Maybe not? Maybe I'm just. Uh, maybe I'm I guess it. they used it so successfully; it was just a given in the film that yeah, this is what he does. I guess. Yeah, that was a good example of using it to its like how it should be. I think. Yeah. Whereas this, when when Tinder Swinton broke the fourth wall, it wasn't. It 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 wasn't. They didn't particularly say anything witty. No, no. it in the least in the it, it was really quite banal and and uh, and expository expository, however you say it, just explaining what was happening at one point. Like mm. l- like there was this amazing, one of the most amazing scenes in the films when they transform from a man into a woman. Mm-hmm. Um. And the music and visuals were really good in that bit. And then, and then Tinder turns to the camera and says, "I yes, I have literally something like." I've got it written. Saying, down. I wrote that down. What was it? I've lost my notes. So I had, I had them up. Hang on. He's got. He's got you. notes. I've got notes. He's got, got notes. notes written down. Uh, she said, "Oh well, yeah." She said, "Yeah, same person. No difference at all." Just a different sex. 
Yeah, I found that. That's when I knew I was done with this breaking the fourth wall business. Because, you know, I mean, we could see that so plainly. Mm, well, that she was a different sex. Yeah. I suppose yeah. in that moment, yeah, I had to make it. Because, every, I mean, we we come from it as an angle of like knowing who Tilda Swinton is, and this is one of her early films, right? So maybe she wasn't as well known at the time, but I found it hard to see her as a man through the um, early parts of the film. Um, yeah. I had to sort of, like, twist my brain to go and accept her as a man. What about Quentin Crisp as a woman? Um yeah, I thought that was great. I, just, I thought it was brilliant. Um, and I, I felt like that that was fitting for the film because it kind of harks back to Shakespeare, right? Mm. It felt, sort of feels like a Shakespearean play. Like, I, I, I instantly got that. I was kind of watching something theatrical, seeing a man play um, such an important role as um, Queen Elizabeth the third, was it? First? Beats I think me. I might have got my queen number first. wrong. First. Yeah, first. Yeah, you, I think you're right. It was the it was theatrically done because, um, although Quentin Crisp was playing Elizabeth, he still had really hairy arms. Yeah. So it was it was it was done in a um, a stagey way. It wasn't done in we're trying to convince you that um, this is a woman. It's more like. We're playing. We're playfully playing with gender. Like even when Tinder Swinton was a man, he still had a one earring, and like they were like always trying to make you slightly question what you were seeing. Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't think there was any effort really, was there, to make t- Tilda Swinton appear to be a man. I I, hmm. th- there were, I think there was effort on Tinder's part on on. Um, physicality uh, and physicality and yeah acting. yeah yeah no fair fair dues and so in, in the opening of the film um he did say not that is that um he's got an androgynous appearance mm. yeah so they kind of made it clear from the from the get go but um yeah go on i guess that's the point sam you said it's a lack of effort but i think they intentionally did it to show that there wasn't a great difference, even in That's, physical appearance between. The, yeah, the I mean, when I say lack of effort, yeah, I mean, the, the it, there wasn't a they weren't trying to convince you that this is a this is a male mm. character, or you know the, the, that the purpose of what Jimmy said, like you, you're constantly trying to sort of get your head around it and adjusting your um, perception I, I, of it. I guess it was meant to make you question what is a male character mm. and what is a female character when it's kind of it was kind of saying there's not much between it between them really yet yet the society ascribes so much to either gender and that's yeah. what the um I thought that's what the breaking of fourth wall was as well wasn't it it was like this is uh, like a sideways, uh, sideways glance to the camera. This is what society is all about. 
you can you can take it. Yeah, like an eye roll, an eye roll sort of emotion. Well, I I read, I read eye roll emoji. I read that the, I read that Sally Potter put the breaking the fourth wall in to, to try and mimic some of the narration that Virginia Woolf does in the novel. I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy said that literally t- ten minutes ago. Uh, what, exactly the same thing. Yeah. While I while I was yeah, in the room. While I was in the room. While you were, yeah, you were you were very much in, in the in body. You were in sorry, the room. Yeah. Jim, James, I'm sorry. I can only apologise. No, it's all right. I also read the same thing, so on, it's on understandable the, that uh, we, we might we might <laughs> have the same we might have the same sources. Yeah, Wikipedia is the source <laughs> I used. Yeah, you, yeah, we maybe I might I might use Wikipedia. You know. <laughs> so we've got a new um a new feature on the podcast Jimmy and it's um takeaways what were your what were your main takeaways from uh, from this film well um i guess the the most important message of the film and the 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 stuff that it dealt with was the the um the difficulties of um womanhood and uh, identity crisis and i think that's you know that's the biggest takeaway i've got from the film i mean it did deal with some of those issues in a in a very in quite modern way um mm. for for 1992 wait mm. three wait, what year are we i can't remember uh 92 yeah <laughs> two yeah two um and you know, I, th- I thought that was. It wasn't until sort of thinking about it after that. I think I think some of that kind of. You know, I wrote some some quotes down from the film that I thought uh, that really stood out to me. And there was mm-hmm. a bit where, um, you know, it was kind of broken up into sections. It was like poetry, politics, society, and they had the headings that came up mm-hmm. uh, during the um, politics part. Is a scene where they're out in the desert and um, they're drinking. I can't remember. They're, they're drinking like they shots keep of something. Toasting each other, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, toasting each other, and uh, but it gets to the point where Tilda Swinton's character Orlando's very like very drunk, and mm-hmm. then um, they to- she toasts or he toasts to the manly virtues, loyalty, courage, and then sort of just trails off and can't think of any manly virtues mm. and I thought that was quite a striking moment in the film and that's just before um, he wakes up the next day and is a woman right um, okay. oh is that so he, he gets drunk and then wakes up a woman oh there's a there's a battle scene isn't there I think where they're, they're um, men, there's it's men show they get injured in battle yeah and uh, in uh, on their back for seven days, or what you know, recovering for seven days, and when they come back, they're a, a woman. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, but, yeah. It, but it wasn't that clear that they'd been injured. No, it really wasn't. No. Um, but um, but yeah, but I think yeah, that scene where sort of struggling with masculinity and then and then waking up as a woman, um, I found quite striking and. That's my takeaway, and then that, that that 
straight after that is it the scene where they're saying right because you're uh, you're no longer a man you you're illegally dead or something and she said no yeah. I'm a woman and it's pretty much the same thing yeah um, uh, and there's another quote that I wrote down shortly after that where um, it's in this, the next scene is about society and there's some uh, rather well to do men debating about poetry and science and then Orlando's character says um, something about a women not important or something like that and they said uh, however charming she, she may be she's uh, without the guidance of a husband or a father she's lost and uh, I suppose that's the you know the plight of women in those times yeah yeah um, is it was it is that all lost a little bit because as a message is that lost because you couldn't easily kind of explain it away saying well that's the way it was in the 17th century uh, 17th century yeah and thank god we don't live in those times anymore Chris that's a question for you well I, I, I respond to your question with a question um, was it a optimistic ending was it a positive ending so it the the film ends with Orlando never with withers never grows old, and the film goes up to the present day of nineteen ninety two. Yep. And um, by that time, Orlando has had a, a daughter. They ride round in a quirky motorbike and sidecar around modern day London. Two fat ladies, like two fat ladies. And, um, well, like a precursor to Two Fat Ladies. And, and is it, is it ending on like an optimistic note for, for, for women? I mean, the, the, the Tin, Tin, Swinton gets a publishing deal, but, but, um, but the, the the publisher patronizes her by saying her life story that she's written should have more love interest in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was still getting patronized, but also it was showing a certain degree of independence. Her riding around the city in that in that motorbike, it was meant to show yeah. signify freedom of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was. Um... It was like, and then there was a really there was that Jimmy Somerville upbeat yeah. song at the end as well, wasn't there? Yeah, and an and an angel. And the, I mean, that's the Jimmy Somerville angle is a whole. I was going to mention it in my takeaways. It's it, go on. It, it, it's a it's a big. Am I? Is it time for my takeaways? Your, yeah, go on. What are your takeaways? Um, first takeaway, I'm going for gout. Yeah. <laughs> Gout I wrote was, gout down. Yeah, gout was mentioned, and I just thought it was a bit lazy. It was, it was that doing saying that old thing of gout is caused by too much rich food in the upper classes. But a very good friend of mine, who I won't mention by name, um, has suffered from gout at various points in his life, and it's just caused by nothing. Really? Yeah. So. Your friend wasn't overindulging in 
uh, rich foods. He, 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 he does. He, he does. He, he does love <laughs> steak. He does love steak. I can't. I can't lie. I can't lie. But you know, we we inter. It was so funny to us when he got gout that a couple of us interrogated him quite a lot about it, and really, it really is nothing to do with diet. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's just genetic. Jimmy, ever suffers from gout? No, I have a friend who 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 also got gout. Um, he does drink a lot of red wine, and I, I assumed it was the red wine drinkers. Yeah, um, I would have disease. thought red wine would break down any rich food. No, like they say, the French, the French uh, diet having a glass of wine a day breaks down all the rich food they eat maybe maybe uh, one glass but maybe Jimmy's friends you know multiple glasses cheese is it are they cheese cheese uh, fan as well Jimmy um, yeah I could I imagine he probably is yeah um, he just ran the London Marathon though he, he got over his gout and oh. ran the marathon what a heartwarming story <laughs> yeah hat, hat, hats off to you because my was, my friend yeah. It's no laughing matter because my friend who had it, you know, it was difficult to walk. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think I experienced one of his bouts of gout, and uh, yeah, we ended up in quite a. Um, well, didn't we meet the Vivian who won um, series one of the British um, RuPaul's Drag <laughs> RuPaul's Bake Off? Uh, yeah, yeah, the Vivian was DJing in Liverpool. So he met the future winner of the first season of RuPaul's Bake Off while having gout. Did he have it then? Did he have gout yeah, then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we and we went for a curry. Yeah, but yeah. we've determined that's not. not <laughs> that shouldn't have affected it. Yeah, it should be fine with this curry. I think the jury's the jury's still out. Really. All right. Main takeaway one: gout. Main takeaway two: Jimmy Somerville. I enjoyed his first appearance in the film. I thought this is good. I like this. This is fun. So Jimmy Somerville was like a, a, a very high pitched singing a very high pitched song on a boat on a, a canal boat in the opening scene. Opening scene, nighttime outside a country manor. Lots of amazing boats passing by under moonlight and under firelight. Like they got these torches and stuff. And just Jimmy Somerville standing up on a boat in in quite a um, funny flamboyant costume, singing a falsetto, mm. and um, took me a moment to realise it was him. And I thought, I'm, I, I like this. But then by the end, Jimmy Somerville appearing as a a badly rendered, you'll know about this, James, badly rendered angel in the sky. Um, singing a quite an awful pop, modern pop song, uh, it, it kind of ruined it for me a little bit. Yeah. Well, well, talk to us about the uh, After Effects, Jimmy, in 1992. So you've got a badly rendered angel in this film, Orlando. In 1993, mm. you've got Jurassic Park, mm. um, and the Turtles films had recently come out as well. Well, they they yeah. weren't they weren't CGI, were they? 
Um, there were, were anim- there was, animatronics. There were animatronics, yeah. Um, but they were they used elements of CGI to in, enhance the the um, the movements and stuff. But right. but yeah, mainly, mainly animatronics. Same same with Jurassic Park. They use a lot of um, practical effects in Jurassic Park. Right. Um, obviously, the T Rex was mainly CGI, but there were uh, there was a giant head made for it. Um, but but yeah, the um, in Orlando, I think the uh, the visual effects budget would have been rather small. I think I, w- I don't think there would have been one. Right. Um, so the angel in the the sky at the end was, um, yeah, just terrible. <laughs> just a very that, very strange was, thing. But I thought that was meant meant to look like sort of I thought, yeah purposefully uh, sort of digitized and. Well, it, well, the ending was filmed on videotape, so all the film, all the film is shot on film, mm. and then when all on Orlando is back at that under that oak tree that mm-hmm. they're at, at the, in the beginning shot, instead of it's done on videotape as a, you know, to show yeah. how modern how modern it is, and then they'd obviously with that angel in the sky that was done in that pixely videotapey way, wasn't it? Yeah, clever way mm. to disguise the lack of budget for visual effects, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've done it myself. I've used effects like that to hide uh, bad, bad work. Yeah, which, which yeah. films? Is that was that Gravity? Um, no, not on films. That's been on commercials and stuff like that. Oh. Yeah, I I did once write my name on the on a frame of a film. Um. In *Some Dog Millionaire*, there's a scene where the the it's quite an action scene where the kids are running away um, from their captors, and it's all like tra- in a train station, and there's lots of trains, and um, underneath one of the trains, in the dark, uh, just for one frame of the film, it just says it's got my initials JC in there, which I just wrote Whoa. in there. Have you Easter tried egg. To- um, see it? Have you tried to look at it? No, you can't. Should you see- be admitting this stuff? Well, you can't see it because I I was too scared to write it properly on a frame, so I just kind of like did it very very dark and and barely visible and very small, so you can't you can't see it. Is um, this um, you- stuff been in the public domain going to affect your career? Um, I don't really work on films anymore, so. Um, not really, hopefully. But, if, but don't. Um, yeah, if it got out. listening to this and he's thinking, no, I, it's need that, that, I need that After Effects guy from uh, <laughs> Harry Brown. Harry Brown? What was the what was the um, Potter Michael Caine one that you did? Is anybody there? Is anybody there? I mm. need the, I need the After Effects guy from Is anybody there? And then he says, I wonder what he's doing these days. And then. He Google's you, and the first thing that comes up is uh, he's on his quirky podcast. Uh, and then he listens <laughs> to the podcast, finds out that I defaced um, an Oscar-winning film. Mm. Um, I think you know, and I would say to him, you know, I worked on that film, and I wrote my name on that, and um, it still won multiple Oscars. So, and that's I mean, the end of story. Imagine what that, you'd say. Imagine what it would have yeah. won if you didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it could have won anything higher than than it, what it did win. Well, maybe it could. Yeah, could have won a few more Oscars, I suppose. Could have won. Could have won Palm Door. I didn't have any um, 
creative input on on the film though so apart from writing your initials yeah that's quite a lot of creative input yeah i suppose um yeah let's not dwell on that i guess okay yeah um <laughs> and and uh, i've got a third takeaway go on uh the music was really good yeah i, I, I enjoyed I the music it. I liked it. You maybe, yeah. I can't. I can't. Maybe, I can't remember. Maybe someone would say it was music, a bit. Really. It was. It was done by uh, a composer called David Motion, which is quite a cheesy name. Yeah. Right. Okay. Could Any be, relation to Andrew? Andrew Motion. Yeah. Who on at this point in time was a poet laureate, of course. All oh, right. I don't know. Maybe. So maybe it's a real name. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the music. Sam, Sam, main takeaways. My main takeaways is that well, I've talked about it already, but my barrier, my barrier to um, costume dramas, and it's something that's not going to go away. I don't think. Tilda Swinton. I'm still to be convinced. This is a, I haven't seen many Tilda Swinton films. I should have I should have uh, looked up that one I was talking about last week where she got big teeth that was good where she got the big teeth Only Lovers Left Alive by Jim Jarmunch not good this left me a little bit um, cold really I wasn't I, didn't, I don't think I put forward my quick thoughts before but I was sort of I quite enjoyed it at the time and then it's it, I didn't really think about it much afterwards really apart from the fact that I just kept thinking about how I didn't like um, costume dramas and this is like compounded that that feeling um, mm. and I liked what they did with Billy Zane I think it was good use of Billy Zane he was um, so he was quite um, got me hot under the collar there yeah, very, very handsome. Um, <laughs> I, Billy I, wrote, I wrote down she bagged herself a beefcake. Yes, but yeah, they did some clever things with the sort of gender roles in that in the brief scenes that he was in, didn't they? Like when he was, he yeah. was, he was, she was like riding the horse, and um, there's just a few points where you thought, oh, that's quite interesting. The, the sort of traditional male role is with Tinder, and the and Zane is more like the woman. Sorry, is that Tilda? Tilda, Tilda um, Swinton. Yeah. Um, <coughs> Billy Zane, magnificent presence. I think I grew up not liking Billy Zane because of his role in Titanic. And his relationship with um, Kelly Brook. Were you right. jealous of his relationship with Kelly Brook? I think so. Yeah, yeah. And he was mm. just a bastard, wasn't he, in, in in Titanic? And he he was the villain in a in a film called Dead Calm as well. Was, right, I and he was he was he, he was a, he he wasn't good in that either. I mean, he was a bastard in that as well. But but did you not think he it, he was a bit ridiculous in this film? Yeah, I think he was meant meant to be, wasn't he? 
yeah, yeah. I think I think it was it was hammed up, wasn't it? Yeah, I uh, yeah. I liked the line when they first met and he fell off the horse. Um, Orlando says said to him, um, "Will you marry me?" Uh, and he says, "Gladly, but I fear my ankle is twisted." Um, yeah, which I, I thought was quite funny. And then she and rode him liked, off on the horse. I liked when he said something about. Um, he wants to wander that I don't know, travel around the world unfettered by position or possession. Though that was mm. quite quite good. Yeah. That's sort of how I sort of how I live really. Do you yeah. know what his character's name was? I, I, I didn't catch this in the film. Oh, but it was really it's, good, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a really um, good name. Marmaduke Bonthrop Shelmadine. Shelmadine, that's what they kept calling him, yeah, Shelmadine. That's great, mm. that, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good use of Billy Zane, and up there my takeaways. Oh, we on to ratings then? I guess, I guess so, yeah. Jim, James, how do you feel about... Jim, how do you feel about ratings... Um, I, As I, in life, in life, um, I yeah, I I look at ratings, um, like TripAdvisor, um, yeah, yeah, um, Yelp, yeah. Don't always trust the ratings. Amazon, don't trust Amazon ratings. No, they um, um, they they skew them. People skew yeah. them. Metacritics, uh, things like Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Ooh, T- tend right. to trust those, but but then people review bomb them as well, don't they? Yeah, I don't trust Rotten Tomatoes or Me- or Metacritic. I, I, yeah, is Met- Metacritic is that only like published ratings, or is it? Uh, no, it's any. It's, and Harry. it's got it's got both, hasn't it? It's got like the audience score and the critic score thing. I think. Um. Which I think it used to be a reliable source, but then since the internet explosion of everyone chiming yeah. into everything, it's kind of they've kind of lost their credibility, haven't they? Mm. So what you're saying is there can be too much democracy. Mm. Yeah. Well, well I, no, think I don't know. What, I that. think what Jim James was referring to was, um, like someone some right-wing people took issue with things like the new Lord of the Rings TV series having uh, black characters in it or more people from the global majority and then they all started review bombing. Is, is that what I got from yeah. you? Yeah, it's that sort of that stuff, sort of isn't thing? it? I, I can imagine people, if this film were to come out today and it it go on Rotten Tomatoes, I think it'd probably get slammed by a lot of... Um, People who, who just don't like seeing, um, you know, portrayals of men and women in different ways. Yeah. So these people organise themselves sometimes and mm. review bomb films with really negative reviews. And, and they and they did it. They did it with the Amazon rating, Amazon Prime rating for Lords of the Rings mm. TV right, series okay. to so drive it right down. Angry organised nerds is what we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. So I, thi- in- so I think in- um, 
I think what we're we're going to say is we're all going to just give this a terrible rating, right? We all we all agree this is the worst film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to sound released. bad now. I'm, I'm going to sound bad. Okay, uh, cinematography. Um, yeah, I'm I'm going back up uh, with the same rating as um, what was last week's film. At my own private Idaho. Going for 9.5 out of 10. Production value for money. Um, they made it over... It took them seven years to make it. I think oh, wow. just to... I don't know why that was, whether they had to keep securing new pots of funding to finish it. I'm not sure. Um, but... Um, I don't really actually know what the budget was, but I think they did a brilliant job because I think it looks... I think the costumes were... Although we're not fans of costume drama, these costumes were pretty amazing. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and I thought the film looked great. I loved, um, like, just some of the... I don't want to say sets because they look real. Like, some of the historical places they filmed in mm. looked looked amazing. And... Uh, you know, when they were filming in the snow and and mm. then they were filming in Middle East, it looked great. Can I stop you there? Yeah. Chris? Um, what did you make of... There's the beginning of one scene where there was someone trapped under some ice yeah. with some fruits in their hands and someone great. was laughing at them. Yeah. yeah. What, what, uh, was, uh, what was happening there then? I think it was the coldest winter they'd experienced in so many years and everything had frozen over in London and I think what happened was someone who was carrying a basket of veg a peasant maybe had had fallen through the water and been frozen over in the ice mm. and that had become a bit of a spectacle for rich people right? Okay. or for people in general actually <laughs> And then that scene was just showing a bunch of nobility saying, come over here and have a look at this, and then mm. laughing at this dead corpse frozen with all this fruit around them. That that was my main takeaway. It didn't trigger a memory at the time, but that's just triggered a memory for me as well. Jimmy, has it, has it triggered a memory for you? Is it is it about a frog? No. Right, no, no it hasn't triggered the same memory. Um well, I, mean, I can until... quick, quick. I can quickly say it. Basically, we were watching a. Um, I think it was a Doctor Who film at your house, and there was a scene where there was a clown frozen underwater, fr- frozen in a lake or something, and it scared me so much that mm. I uh, had to go home. You were um, notoriously quite scared of Doctor Who, and often had to leave my house because of was watching Doctor Who. It happened a few times. Um, I don't know about that. I, th- I think I think you're re- rewriting history here, but um, I think it happened what that one time. Did you say it was a clown trapped under the ice? Yeah. Who, who was who was playing the clown? I couldn't tell you. It wasn't Eddie Little. <laughs> Sid Little or Eddie Large. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah. I, I had to switch off a Doctor Who when I was when I was ten or eleven. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Ratings. Um, production value for money. I'll give it uh, four out of five. Uh, 
and uh, story, I'm going to give it. I, I'm really sorry to say this because I, I really expected a lot, a lot of this film. Um, I, I'm going to give it two out of five. Two out of five. I, I felt like it only really got going once they transformed into a woman, and that was 26 minutes to, from the end, away from the end. I quite like the um, Constantinople stuff. Did you? Yeah, 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 the the mm. battle and the and the Highlander bit at the end, I thought it was pretty good. But it's too, it was a bit like tagged on, wasn't it? Yeah, tagged it, on. It, it didn't have an arc that I could really get emotionally involved with, and I, and I don't. I hope that's not because I'm a a man. I just felt like it wasn't a great story. Okay, well, the um, another uh, what we also do on this podcast, Jimmy, is we ask the question: What would you do as the protagonist in this film? Shoot. Well, was the was the protagonist a mortal? Yes, because he couldn't die. Um, so I think that was a bit wasted. Could have done a lot with that. Um, mm-hmm. If it was if it was me, I think I might have, you know, done some pretty crazy things, knowing that Go on. I was immortal. What um, have you done? Well, I think I I would have been um, more more inclined to uh, go into that battle, perhaps. Um, but I, I don't know if I would have even found myself there because I think I would be, I'd, I'd already. Be maybe employed as some sort of job doing spectacular feats, like jumping off um, high buildings. So you'd be like a <laughs> freak like a showman. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd have been a showman. Um, ran away with the circus, sort of thing. But um, but then I suppose would would he have um, lost his property? If he'd gone would off and care? done that, if he'd would you? Would you care? Or you'd you'd, be, you'd well, make your money anyway, wouldn't you? From the yeah, but would the, you also you know, lose millions would, of admirers? Would he then lose his ability to be immortal as well? I don't know. What does um, it profit I, a man? I, what does it profit a man to gain immortality but join the circus? Is that like? Mm. Is that? Like, I don't. I think. Say, say that again. <laughs> say that what again. does it? What does it profit a man to lose his? No, did I say gain or lose? Gain. Gain his gain immortality, but join the circus. Great. <laughs> I think we're, we're getting confused here because because. Orlando agrees never to wither. Mm-hmm. So it, some sort of fantasy happens and some sort of magic happens and they don't wither, they don't grow old, but it, I don't think that means that they couldn't be pierced or killed or wounded <laughs> or scarred. Yeah, you're probably right there. Um, well, they had a earring, didn't they? So <laughs> Yeah, they could be pierced. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so as, as long as I'm not sure you could jump off high buildings and become a freak show. Mm, okay. 
Maybe I wouldn't. Yeah. That's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah. And I don't think at any point in the film Orlando seemed to be aware of the fact that he was immortal. So... I think they I think they did because I think the it was the second time they turned to the camera I think they just um they just agreed to the queen Elizabeth that they wouldn't wither and then they the next scene they were lying down and they looked at the camera and uh, said, like Ferris Bueller like Ferris Bueller yeah and said something um along the lines of well that's that then or something right Maybe that's why the the fourth wall didn't work for me. Really, maybe I needed a bit more exposition in the in the fourth wall. If you were the protagonist, would you have broken the fourth wall? Um, I would have done it more. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, in Home Alone, he only breaks the fourth wall once in the whole film. That's pretty bold, isn't it? For, for, which bit, for which bit? When he says, uh, I made my family disappear. And does it work? Does what work? Does that work for you when they break the fourth wall? Yes. Yeah, I think that's mm. uh, textbook, really. And, you know, it's the same director as Ferris Bueller, isn't it? So I think John Hughes was the the master, really, of playing with the fourth wall. Strong, strong opinions. Um, if I was Orlando... Um, what I would do is just keep keep quiet about the whole the whole gender thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not very pioneering, though, is it? Like, you know, I think or I th- re- reveal it right at the end. Um, to give end two of, fingers. <laughs> end of what? Well, I'd um. This is your life. You're not in a film. You 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 are Orlando. Yeah, and I'm immortal, in in a way, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. It's tricky, isn't it? This is what I keep getting stuck on with these um, alternative narratives, really, because mm. I think I've got a great idea, and then I realise that it's not that simple. Yeah. Um, be, would it be quite difficult? You you just be you just pretend to be a man for the rest of your life, even even though you're immortal. Keep my house, keep my house, keep myself to myself. Yeah, quite. quite hold literally. on to the, hold on to the property that men are allowed to have, and women aren't. But then, mm-hmm. if you were immortal, you would have been alive now, and you would have had much more equal rights as a woman. Yeah, well, I would, have, I would have fought for those rights earlier as well, a man. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have done that because why not? Because you wouldn't have revealed that that you were happy to be a woman. I think I think your your argument to fight for those rights would have been stronger had you accepted your feminine identity. Well, no, because I'd do that straight after after I'd won the rights. Oh, right. <laughs> um, I mean, if you're immortal, you'd get to the stage where. You know, like in Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, they were all wearing non-gender clothes. In, in Bill uh, and Ted's in, Bogus in Journey, Bogus Journey, or is it Excellent Adventure? Oh, in the future. It, yeah, in the future, mm. when they go to the future, people are dressed in non-binary clothing. Were they? 
That's pretty so, ahead of the times. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, really. um, so if you were the protagonist, Sam, it, and what I'm saying is, it would get to the mm. point where you 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 wouldn't have to hide being a being a woman. You you could mm-hmm. you could you know you you wouldn't well, even have to do that now. I'd basically try and bring about the Bill and Ted times much earlier. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd, 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 I'd sort of bring that in, usher, usher that in. You try and change this mm. film into Bill and Ted. I tell you, you'd start. You, I guess you'd have a lot of time to spend on um, building that time traveling phone booth, wouldn't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be in a phone booth, though, would it? Because we're the we're in the seventeenth century. Yeah, I don't know what the seventeenth yeah, century equivalent is. Yeah, you're immortal, though. You're not just going to live in the seventeenth century. Mm. Yeah, is yeah. It, is probably it, just is it too late to fight for? The rights for women, if you're waiting all that time for a phone booth to be invented, it's a long, it's a long time, isn't it? Um, okay, well let's let's move on to. Um... Wait, you haven't you haven't asked me. Oh, sorry, sorry, Chris. Uh, what would you do if you were the protagonist in this film? In this film, I wouldn't have ridden around in a cheesy motor bike and sidecar mm, okay with cheesy matching clothes for my, I, I I'm never gonna uh I'm not gonna dress my my son Griff in 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 matching clothes with me okay and and I, I would have traded in the motorbike and sidecar and got um my my partner Emma really wants to get a Mazda Bongo at the moment. Why? Why? As a camper van. She's, uh, right, she, okay. she wants. She really wants to get a camper van, um, and it's her fortieth coming up. So I'd trade that in for. Uh, you're shaking your head, James Jim. Oh, well, I'm just thinking that it is. Are you doing what the protagonist of this film would have done, or just just what you what you'd do? <laughs> Well, I suppose that is the question, isn't it? What, I mean, would, you, I am what would you the protagonist. do? <laughs> I am the protagonist. Would I you mean, have still got to that point if you were born in the uh, in the Elizabeth the first age? Yeah, you're sort yeah. of focusing on the last like five minutes of the film as well. You're not really exploring the. I think the bulk of. I, the I think my response is the most logical out of any of you two because mm. my thinking is where the film ends I'm so thinking it up as that character where, is then you're picking well, up that's, from that's where a different question yeah, that's, that's more like what would you do in the sequel to this film as the protagonist <laughs> I can do what I want at any point in the film <laughs> as a protagonist in this question so you do everything exactly the same but then right at the end you'd trade that motorcycle and sidecar for a Mazda Bongo. I'd do a part exchange and try and get some long term a long term financing deal spread over five years. 
You could spread it a bit longer than that. Don't Tech even worry about that. <laughs> well, you, you, you're, in, you're immortal, so you could you could arrange a very high interest and just pay off. Yeah, you very know. low interest. If they believe me, well, if they believe yeah. me, and I would try and get it on a 12, 12 month warranty for major parts, and I'd try and get them to give it a fresh MOT out of the forecourt. So I'm looking at a Mazda Bongo, probably. Probably get a ninety six model, get a two point five diesel automatic. Yeah. Master Bongo Friendly, it's called the Master Bongo Friendly. Get one with a pop top roof. I wouldn't get one that's being converted with a gas hob and you know, that I'd keep the one with the seats that you can fold down. I'd get a night heater installed to keep it warm if we went anywhere cold like the Highlands. Um, I'd get a leisure battery put in. A what? A leisure battery, twelve volt leisure battery, so we could charge our phones, run, run iPads off it, etc. And before purchasing it, I'd take it to my own mechanic, Double S Motors, on a Rundle Avenue off Smith Down Road. I hope, I don't know why it's called Double S Motors though. I hope that's not like an SS reference. <laughs> and I would get it checked for rust on the wheel arches. And if it did have rust, I'd get it, yeah, I'd get it under sealed. And then I'd probably spray some Lana, aftermarket Lanagard on it to prevent rust. Because in Japan, they don't put salt on the roads, so they don't underseal their cars. And this is an import we're dealing with. Oh, then I'd go, right, okay, I got you. Yeah. Then I'd go on to the DVLA website <laughs> and I'd convert it from an import car to a, a camper van. Cause, and that would bring down the insurance if I went with a broker, like Together or AT&T. And first trip would be to Chester. Right, okay, it's fairly local. Yeah, don't want to go too far in it, yeah. Good, good, all right, well... Um... Crosby, Crosby maybe, Crosby, Formby. Shall we discuss um, Freshfields? Mm. Freshfields. What was happening? Um, in... Can I just uh, can I just put one thing on that? Um, yeah. Is it about caravans? Is it no, about, it's about No, it's just about. Um, <laughs> well, it is a bit. Um, you could do something. My a good friend of mine always had this. Wanted to get this on a t-shirt. Um, honk yeah. if you're Formby. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Sorry, I missed that. Honk if you form B. To to rhyme with <laughs> horny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you can just wear it. You can wear that T-shirt in your camper van on your trip to form B. <laughs> doesn't doesn't even rhyme. I know, but he, he just loved it. He thought it was a funny. I think he had. I think he dreamt it. He dreamt up this this. Slogan. Was he from form B? No, no. It was um, our friend um, Joseph Stubbs. <laughs> 
<laughs> he lives in Hornsey. Um, I don't even know if he's been to Formby. But, isn't, uh, isn't Honk if you're Hornsey much better? Well, yeah. <laughs> but um, he liked Honk if you're Hornsey for some reason. Right, okay. <laughs> Extraordinary. Uh, I mean, I am going to just make that T-shirt now. <laughs> Well, James, you've done some um, background research into your life, our lives, life in well, 1992. Well, I've written a list um, in, the, in the hope that it would just spark off some conversation. Um, so I read out the list. Please do. Um, ghost in the Loft. Um, Puma. Uh, walking halfway, um, setting watches, chasing rabbits. That's one thing. Um, bike rides, street street hockey, which you've already covered. Um, I think in the last podcast. Uh, Spice Girls slash Slipknot. Uh, I don't think this was nineteen ninety. It wasn't <laughs> particularly that year. It's just just memories that I've had. Um, <laughs> Uh, leave an airfield. Can I have a Magnum? Uh, yeah, it was probably right. Um, Red Hot Poker's Mr. France, but you've covered that as well, I think. You, know, you mentioned it at the start well, of the podcast. Okay, yeah. Banana costume. Um, egg, egg rolling. Um, the Jolly Postman, the musical. Um, de- detective school. Slash stage fright, uh, monster in my pocket, and curtain rail slash garage. Chris, you've got a uh, you've got a, a menu there. You I'm, tem- I'm, I'm tempted to go for the monster in my pocket, but but I can I can already guess what that is. Obviously, I bet you, I bet you can't. No, no, you probably won't. Oh, oh really? To. Okay, so I'm going to pick that. Um, I mean, I can't just say the last two, Curtain Rail, Garage, and Monster. I'll go for... Some of these are very short memories. I'm, go- I'm <laughs> going to go... Well, I had, I had someone... I got a bit of feedback on the podcast yesterday from someone who said, um, can um, can you dig a little bit deeper for trauma? Oh. Uh, so I'm going to go for Ghost in the Attic and um, Monster in my, in my Pocket. Okay. Okay. Well, G- you- so Jimmy's house was quite an old house uh, in Bransburton, and it was um, it was an adjoining. Would it wasn't? What was it? What, what the hell? What was it used for originally? It used to be stables. Stables. Um, okay. Well, the, 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 it was a farmhouse, and then attached was a stables. But it's right in the centre of the village, so the stables is now my dad's workshop and um, a craft Doing- shop. What what kind of workshop? Uh, Pyrocrafts was his um, trade, which was um, using red hot pokers to to burn um, images of people's dogs and pheasants and um, foxes and all that sort of stuff onto leather or tables, Brilliant. which he'd take to country shows. Oh, yeah, Sam's got a, a duck, a mallard there. Well, what about some Beautiful. of the uh, pun pun toilet seats? Yeah, yeah, to- he did toilet seats. So he'd do mm-hmm. a picture of um, a picture of a pheasant on the on the lid of the toilet seat, and then you lift it up, and underneath 
he did a, he did a few different ones. There was a good shot was the first one, and he just said yeah. the word good shot and then some feathers. So right. like, shooting, and then sometimes it'd say uh, missed again, and there was no yeah. feathers there. Um, Can you still get these? Wasn't um, wasn't one that said you might find them in uh, antique shops or charity shops or something. Wasn't the one called that said running cock? Yes, running cock. That was another one. What yeah, does that quite, mean? Quite quite risky. Well, it's like um, uh, a running cock is a, a pheasant running along the ground, so you can't right. shoot at it. Yeah. Um, but also, it's your your penis leaking <laughs> <laughs> on the toilet seat. Brilliant, brilliant. Mm. Um, so Jimmy's bedroom from the age of, I'm going to say. 13, 14? Yeah, I think so. Was um, in the sort of barn section of yeah. the house above his dad's um, workshop. Um, and we were... Oh, uh, so this, no, but this must have been pre... Was this pre that being your yeah. bedroom? Yeah, it was, uh, um, it, was so a, it was a leather storage. Which, um, leather storage. Yeah. Um, and we were in I his dad's, dad's work... Leather storage for the so for the pyrocraft for the pyrocrafts for the pyrocrafts yeah, for the pyrocrafts yeah. nothing yeah, nothing untoward yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't it um, wasn't for um, any sort of S and M practice uh, yeah. which which was I mean, a rumor the, that got flown around right by a, but a friend of ours untoward about that anyway no no yeah, no, yeah. no 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 yeah. um, and we were in. James' dad workshop, and we could hear some noises from above. In the leather um, store. In the leather store, and it sounded like chains. Hmm. Um, so we we were very scared, ran away, thought it was definitely a ghost, um, but it was just uh, James's parents playing a uh, playing a prank on us. That was what the chain chain noise yeah. was in the leather store. Really? Yeah. So there was um, there was a, a a vent that went between the the living room of my, the main house building and the um, my dad's workshop. Me and Sam were actually uh, ghost hunting at the time, which we we did quite regularly. We took we took nets, little fishing nets. Um, possibly had pan, possibly had pans on our heads. I think as protection. Yeah. Um, and as we were going up the stairs, my um, my dad got a a broom handle and just sort of went up and down on the on the vent and bashed it against it to make loads of noise, and we come screaming um, out of the workshop into the living room. Um, I don't think it was traumatic or anything. Um, we uh, because we, I think we repeatedly did this um, for for you know we'd want to go ghost something every time you came around the house. It, they sound like fun parents who were creating yeah. fun memories for you guys. Yeah, it's, well, it stuck stuck with us, stuck with with me. Yeah, um, but I can't go to sleep with light on anymore. <laughs> yeah, but they they sound like they were they were up for a laugh. Yeah, yeah, they're always up for a laugh. Um, that's good. Yeah, it's good fun. Uh, anything else on the menu, Chris? There was loads of stuff. I think let's do a few of them really quickly. 
Well, the rabbit yeah. one. So I mentioned yeah. the chasing rabbits in the introduction. Um, mm. I mean, this this is a crap anecdote. Thinking about it, isn't it? Basically, there was a, a rabbit in the in the play park. We spent what seemed like about six hours chasing it, trying to catch a rabbit, running after it mm. in, in the play park. Um, but we kept an eye on the time. Um, but it turned. But we haven't put our clocks back. Is that right? You, no, we um, we had only just learned how to turn the, um, tell the time, I think, and we both got watches. So um, we thought we were being very clever. We got we got told that we were supposed to come home at a certain time, and we were being very clever and decided to, if we turn the hands back on our watch, then then we can change time and stay out longer. Uh, that was that was what we did, and That's uh, a bit like we just storm, chased. Isn't it? What I can't believe is why that rabbit didn't just run away completely. Like it could have run into a field or escaped us. It was like it was wanted to play with us, which um, yeah, is a fond true. memory. Yeah, it was. Um, it knew what it was doing. Mm. Myxomatosis was a big thing back then. Yeah, do you, do you remember, know about myxomatosis, Chris? Oh, oh. The, the plight of uh, the plight of uh, the lapines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What I what I don't know about it, you could write on the postage stamp. Yeah, I th- and yeah, I thought <laughs> I, I, I suspected that. Um, yeah, me and Jimmy saw a puma. Mm. Oh, I thought you meant that it was something to do with trainers. So no. where did you see where did you see that? Um, near what was on- Bransburton Hospital. Mm-hmm. We're on a the bike old, ride, the old hospital. Um, on a bike ride, and we stopped to look at, look look over into a field, and um, and we saw in the distance this thing that was definitely a, a big cat. Mm-hmm. Um, wow! Yeah, uh, and it could have been a lynx. We, could have been. Full disclosure: it could have been a lynx. Um, Did you so we bought it? No, we we got out of there as quick as possible, and uh, a squirrel duck. Yeah, squirrel darted out in front of Sam. You were driving? No, riding bikes. Riding bikes. And uh, and is it in, in the area where you live, where you guys hail from, is it is it one of those places that does have big cat sightings? No. What the no, I, I, I don't know of anyone else. James Tomlinson. James Tomlinson saw quite a few, I think. Did he? Good. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Hit me yeah. with some more. Uh, um, glow in a dark uh, monster in my pockets. Do you remember glow mm-hmm. in a dark monster in my pockets? Yeah. So I had a um, a, ri- a a bed that was above some um, cupboards. So what you have there is basically a um, duplex situation in my in my bedroom. Right. Uh, so one of us would be on, on on the bed. One of us would be on a, the a, a, a bunk a bunk bed without the bottom bunk. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. One of us would be on the ground floor. One of us would be on the bed. Turn lights off. Glowing the dark monster munch. Th- a monster. <laughs> <laughs> glowing the dark monster in my pockets. Throw, throw them at each other. Throw, throw them. I, I'm, I'm struggling to in solve the dark. this. Come ten o'clock. Yeah. 
we couldn't um we yeah, just threw them around in the dark in our general directions and just dived around it was uh, good fun brilliant um banana costume did you not know, get the reference of the banana no, costume no I'm drawing a blank with this one um a primary school uh fancy dress I think it was harvest festival um and it was like a fancy dress competition and um everyone had to come in in fancy dress as as foodstuffs so people were dressed in like fancy um cereal boxes that had been like painted by the parents that looked really good um and my parents came up with the idea of uh I had one of those um banana inflatable bananas that you take in a swimming pool and um it obviously it's maybe it popped or something like that, but they thought, oh, and we'll just cut some, a face hole and uh, arm and leg holes in it and we'll just put them in that. <laughs> and um, so I went in, I was in this lineup of children and the headmaster, Mr. France, who was uh, quite an intimidating man, um, uh, was going around judging everyone and uh, he came up to me and he was just appalled. He was, he went red, he was, he was angry. Um, took my, it even spoke to my parents afterwards because he just thought that um, he thought that they were taking the piss. I've uh, missed a little bit of what. What was he annoyed about? Well, the the um, banana costume made it seem made, gave the impression that I just had, it was just a, p- a big penis dangling between my legs. Right, right. But to no one else, it? it was just well. No, it was just a banana. Everyone right. else got that it was a banana. It was fine, uh, but he was he did not see the. Why was, it between, it made, why, why was it between your legs? Well, if you're going to be a banana, if you're going to be a personified banana, you're going to have the end of a banana between your legs. Was this mm. your your mum and dad's idea? Yeah, they put me in the in the banana suit, but I don't think they they didn't have the same mind as Mr. France. Apparently, Mr. France's. But a banana yeah. suit is one thing, but what you just described is a, just a, having a banana between your trousers, between your legs. Well, no, the top, the top was no. on, at the top. The top right. was yeah. at the top of his body, and the bottom was at the. There's the a face hole, a face yeah. hole in the front of the banana with like you know enough headroom above, uh, like more more banana coming off the top, and then and then two arm holes and two leg holes, and then the rest of the banana coming out between my legs. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> did it? Was it? Why was it? It would have been. It would have been flopping it dangle, about. It was. Did it, it was. It, it wasn't inflated. It was a flaccid banana. So <laughs> I'm thinking that teacher probably got know, some obviously, issues. Obviously, not a nice person, and well, also a bit of a dirty there's mind. History. There's history there, isn't there? So I mentioned the red hot pokers. Um, was red hot pokers on your list there, Jim? Mm. It wasn't, um, but I think that was before 1992, Yeah, we are all over the place with your time. I am, yeah, I am, yeah. I am all over um, the place. We, so we, me and Jimmy have siblings at the same age, so we would go to mm-hmm. school with our parents to meet our siblings and um, because we, we were sort of very irreverent characters. Um, there were some red-hot poker plants. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with... Uh, Nope, you're not. A bo- you're not a botanist. Well, you are a botanist, really, aren't you? I, I, I had a phase. One of my um, serial hobbies. You're a po- you're a polymath. Um, but that that's more the um, 
more the nickname for the for the plant. Yeah. So uh, what what plant is it? Uh, I can't pronounce it. I could try. Yeah. Uh, a a nip, hoffia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you could say that. No. Uh, <laughs> what, what? Say it again. Uh, nif nifophia So there's these nifophias <clears throat> in the <laughs> primary school uh, garden, um, and apparently I don't know. Mr. France, who was a new head teacher, he must have thought a lot of these nifophias. Uh, me and Jimmy <laughs> went and and, um, and pulled them up, pulled up the nifophias. Oh, okay. Uh, so that was a that was a notorious incident. Um, and then he later relayed that story in our leavers assembly um, before um, taking Jim, Jimmy's head between his big hands and, sh- and shaking Jimmy violently on the... Uh... What? <laughs> it, it wasn't violently, I don't think. Um, there's a photo of it that's, uh, you know, he did clasp my head in his hands and, and whoa, 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 you so is he like oh these these rap scallions sort of thing mm. it yeah. wasn't yeah. like he was he wasn't, he wasn't really bitter about it he'd grown to like you both and that had become we were kind of like respected adversaries of his mm. right keep your friends close keep your enemies closer yeah and Mr. <laughs> Franz would wear one of those baseball caps that had a um, ponytail Attached to it, fake ponytail attached to it. You don't really see that very often anymore. Your headmaster wore a baseball cap <laughs> with a fake ponytail attached. Yeah, but yeah, yeah but Chris, he was bald. So. Right. Mm, so was it done? Was it? It was done as a joke. Yeah, yeah. How often would he wear the cap? Not very, not very often. So he, any, he was a funny any sort of event. Event. It was a yeah. events mainly, yeah. He was a joker. Yeah, and he would kick a it kick I've said too much. He'd kick a rugby ball really high in the air. How about you, Chris? What about um nineteen ninety two for you? I've got written down Okay. Oh, oh you yeah. got into chess. chess. Or the film chess. Um yeah, um one of my serial hobbies. Um I joined the chess club at school, um, and I was I was absolutely rubbish at it, <laughs> like so bad, so bad. I know I know how to play. I still know how to play. I know the rules and that, but I'm so bad at it. And I would go every week, and I would lose every week each multiple times and then I went on a chess tournament to another school um, on a I think on a Sunday and all the, or lots of other local schools convened to have this tournament and um, I think my second match I sat down to play a boy that was a year older than me and a, a a big lad as well, a a big tall, a big, a big lad. lad, in shape, a big lad, but in shape, and yeah, yeah, tall. And we played chess against each other, and then it got to a certain point, 
and and he said, "I, I think you've won." And I <laughs> and I went, "No, no, I haven't. No, I haven't." And he said, "No, I, I, I." He said, "I can't work it out, but I think." He said, "Yeah, I think you've won," and I, and then I said, "Okay, I'll have a look." And um, I was like, "Yeah, I think uh, I think I have. I think I've I've won as well." <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, yeah." And then he went, "I'm not much good at this, to be honest." And then I, the big lad said he, that. The big lad said that, and I was like, "Neither am I." And then I realised I was just playing myself. I was just playing an older version of my metaphorically I was playing a real human person who lost but I was just playing the same person as myself but a year older and I, and I beat them right I beat them was he he was he was called Chris no no it just I was playing the dumbass I was playing <laughs> He was me. He's right. the guy who also goes to the chess club every week and loses against everyone. I was playing the, the dumbass he, of the chess club and, and I beat him. And he was a year older than me and I didn't even think... So did that give you confidence to carry on? I don't think I did it much longer after that, but um, I, I was just so... I, I was, he, he wasn't shocked, but I was incredibly shocked that I beat him. Incredibly shocked. I'd, I'd never imagined think? in a million years I'd win a game of chess, let, let alone someone older than me. What 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 do you think that um, experience has brought to your you in midlife? I, I find that I'm not a competitive person in um, in terms of board games, like things like that, sports, and then or card games but then I do find if if I if I'm just fully relaxed occasionally I've played card games where I've just gone on these mad winning streak I think it was poker actually did you get oh poker plants but um, I thought you'd mentioned poker but uh, yeah I, at university I played poker and I'd go on these really long winning streaks sometimes but then as soon as I started thinking about it oh I'm winning this is going well. I start losing. Something about being relaxed. I, I was once at a talk by this Buddhist monk, and he said meditating is like playing the violin. He said when I play the violin, as soon as I start thinking this is going well, it goes wrong. Mm. Meditation is like that particular monk playing the violin. Um, Did he say meditation? I think he meant. I think he meant metaphorically. Mm -hmm. I, he meant meditation. It's quite personal, personal to his experience of the violin, though, isn't it? Yeah. Or is that just? I don't know. Maybe it's universal. Well, different for Nigel Kennedy or um, what's the Singaporean lady? That has just made me. It's just a funny. It was just a, a small victory that took place in my, in my, in my life. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and uh, I remember, I remember it. Small victory in my life. I, I once won the 
little shop of horrors on VHS yeah. um, in the whole Daily Mail writing competition. You have to, you know, answer a quiz question or something. You want it? You want to write in? Mm-hmm. And you, and you, the whole paper, whole Daily Mail, whole Daily yeah. Mail, and you won the little shop horrors on VHS. Mm-hmm. That's that is amazing. It's reminded me of another small victory. Go on. Let's have one one small victory from you, then a small victory from Jimmy, and uh, right. we'll start to wrap up. Crosby Civic Hall. I would have been about four, three or four. Me, my mum and my brother are watching Russ Abbott on stage. Russ Abbott calls up some members of the audience to come up and get some sweets. Mike is called up. Oh? Yeah. Your brother? My brother. Okay, this is not a small victory. Um, It's just something that happened. And I went up on stage. I think Mike still got to go up on stage. But I uh, I went up on stage and got the sweets as well. Pretended to be Mike. No, no, we were, we were both there at the same time on stage. But so who, who got the? Oh, right, okay. I um, because Abbott called you up. That was a victory. That was the win. Abbott called my brother up, but I mm-hmm. forcefully went up as well. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you were standing up for yourself, do you think, maybe? No, no, nothing as noble as that. More just like a child fixated on sweets and Russ Abbott and mm. and and uh, using their their youth to get up there. You know, people are like, oh, it's, it's a three-year-old. He's following his... He wants to be up on stage too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I apologise if I stole your moment, any limelight in that moment. But maybe that's when you caught the bug, the showbiz, the showbiz bug. Maybe. No doubt about it. Crosby Civic Hall. I was I was on stage there later on in life. Um, yeah, and as a child, I mean, and uh, yeah, it, 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 yeah, a couple of times, and. Uh, that's where I got the showbiz from. And uh, what about you, Jimmy? Small, small victories. Well, um, I, I, I got a lot of small. Yeah. I, I want to also do an apology to someone as well, which uh, links to this around the time of we're talking about, um, which is uh, our friend Norm, who's been Hi, mentioned Norm. a few times on this on this podcast. Hi, Norm. Um, I want to I want to apologise to you because I got a lot of small victories against you um, at the game, the board game um, called Bewitched, which uh, I don't know if you remember, Sam. It was a board game that had frogs, I know uh, little frogs. I know you it. had to get them a to a to an area of the board the that had these little yes. little plastic books, and you had to get to one of the plastic books, pick it up, and take it back to the to your safe zone, lily pad, I think it was. And then you look in it, and if there's a frog inside, you've got to carry on again and try and find the one with the prince. And um, and I used to set up the board game because it was my game, so I knew how to set it up. Uh, and no, I didn't know. So I had to set it up. So I'd look in all the books first just to make sure I knew which one had the prince in. Uh, and then I'd, I'd fix it so that... Um, 
that I would go and collect the prince. Is this a confession as well as an apology? Um, a foul play. Yeah, it's, it's a confession. It's a confession, an apology, foul play. Um, and I got a lot of little victories against him there. But, and, uh, and he didn't take it well at all a lot of the time. Um, sometimes he'd flip the ball up, he, board over, get very angry, and um, and got banned, banned from my house as a result. At the time, a couple of times. I mean, I, I mean, I doubt it because the age we were frogs, at. But, but his, um, his, 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 you know, yeah, some people lick. <laughs> maybe he was licking toads. Toads, yeah, um, and I've his visceral met, reaction I've to losing. I've only met him, was, uh, I think, two times over Zoom during the lockdowns when we did quiz, quizzes, and I, I get, and he was a prolific winner for those quizzes. So I probably he was very probably, good. I think I met met him four times, and he won the quiz every time, and he got nearly every question correct. Um, that makes me think he's not someone who likes to lose easily. No, maybe he's maybe that time has uh, made him. Really knuckled down, spent his uh, winning games. Spent his life trying to maybe trying to get one mm. one over. Yeah. <laughs> well, back victory. So I apologise for that. I hope That's it very noble of you. We'll, we'll have him on. If you are listening, very noble of you, we'll, Jim. I, we always we <laughs> want to give the right to reply on this podcast, so we'll get we'll get um, Norm on, and uh, he can give his side of the story. Yeah. And it's good of you to to do that. Yeah, I hope you feel better for for for, for getting it off your chest. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, any any more thoughts on nineteen ninety two before I move on to uh, our film for the for next week? Uh, I just got one more memory from oh, around this time, me and Jimmy, uh, and it's related to films. So nineteen ninety three was the film that Jurassic Park came out. As I mentioned, do you remember Jimmy? We used to sit and practice watching. Jurassic Park. <laughs> we were so no, excited, excited about Jurassic Park that we used to um, sit and just look at the wall and pretend that we're watching Jurassic Park at the cinema. And I think that's I've carried that through to midlife in a way that I always try and maximise my excitement for events because I feel like that's part of the experience of of events. Is the anticipation? Mm. I like that. I like that. But I have a confession to make. Mm. I don't Go understand on. the love for Jurassic Park. Sorry, guys. That's just, oh. I'm, well, I'm, I'm. I feel sorry for you. <laughs> Speaking to the wrong people here. Yeah, mm. I we we used to. I, well, yeah, I, I always so. used to want to. Did we? I don't know if we ever did this, but I wanted to make a. Database of dinosaurs. Do you remember this? One of my one of my projects. Yeah, yeah. I think we drew we 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 drew a lot for of the, for the database. Um, often. Yeah, probably. Yeah, we could went through the alphabet. I've got one. I've got a, I've got a database of dinosaurs. Upset. What do you mean? Who um, made? I've got a uh, uh, no. Someone has we done it and published it. I'm afraid. Uh, we, well, I don't know if the the guy has done it. He's a millionaire, but uh, isn't, that, isn't, Musk, isn't that just called Wikipedia? It's called the the right. Z of dinosaurs. I wanted to do oh, okay. um, 
database of the Simpsons as well. Big into databases back then. Databases were a big thing back then, weren't they? Um, so three three options for films for 1993. Okay. Um, and yeah, I've no idea where you, you're going to because I, I feel like at this age, Chris, you'll have watched a lot more films. So three films. Yeah. The Age of Innocence by Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Chronos. Oh yeah. Chronos, an early one by Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> Can you say say that again? Guillermo del Toro or um, Farewell My Concubine seen it by Chen Cage seen it that's disappointing because uh, that comes highly 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 recommended by uh, a Chinese uh, a Chinese couple what what, what Chinese couple well but um Claire's brother and his wife. Right. He's not Chinese. No. Have you seen The Age of Innocence? Who's in, is it Day-Lewis? Yeah. I don't think I've seen it, now. Sorry, it, it, yeah, it is. Yeah, who else is yeah, in it? Who else is in it? Michelle Pfeiffer, Winona Ryder. Oh, I might have. Jonathan Price, Richard E. Grant. I'm just Googling it. Okay, well... We'll, we'll, we can go to for Kronos to play it safe and it's a short running time um, I think it'll have to be I, I mean I, I have seen about 20 minutes of Kronos as well sorry Sam this is a danger isn't sorry it? Sam this is a danger when we're going into this this uh, time of life uh, but that's fine that's fine I don't think I've seen The Age of Innocence uh, shoot, let's go for that one then. I'd rather go for that one because I'd like to be a Scorsese completist. Okay. Uh, it's, it's got costumes in it. Mm. <laughs> no, but it's only, it's still 20th century, isn't it? Uh, James, thanks very much for joining us on the Midlife Film Catch Up. Absolute pleasure. Thanks it's, for having uh, wonderful me. Wonderful to see you in a wonderful um, trip. Down, down memory lane. Yeah, absolutely, it was really it was a good. Big pleasure Very to much meet you. Um, can I call you James or Jim? Yeah, he can call me James. Yeah, yeah, just, Jim. I'm just confused. Mind. What do people call you? <laughs> well, all through university, people called me Jimmy, um, and after that, I just went by James. You've so, also got a few more. I'm, I'm good with names, haven't you? Jizzy Rascal, Warlord, DJMC, Jizzy Rascal, Apple Apple Kundal. No one called me Apple Kundal. Jizzy, Jizzy Um, Rascal. Did they? (laughs) Yeah, that that came up. Um, um, James Kundildo was one that someone came up with, which I was very happy about. Uh, <laughs> monkey butt. <laughs> oh, sorry, okay, my, well, my, my, my partner's giving me looks. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, we'll go. We'll 
I'm not happy that we've ended there, but but anyway, it was good. Good night, guys. All right. You forgot to do the phrase, Sam. Um, I feel like you've got one already. Go on. You have to say it. What does it profit a man to gain immortality but join the circus? What does it profit a man to gain immortality but to join the circus? Thank mm-hmm. you.